Another Saturday where the underdogs dominate in the Big 12. What's up? I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports is how you find us and where you find us covering the Big 12 Conference. And what an awesome Saturday it was. Drama off the court. Coaches getting thrown out of the game for the first time in 20 years. It was wild. And we're here to recap it as we do each and every week at Heartland College Sports. If you are new to the show, if you're just checking us out, if you're a Big 12 or a college basketball fan, do me a solid. Subscribe to the show on YouTube. We are adding subscribers by the hundreds every month, and every single one of you matter and count. We built this thing from the ground up almost 10 years ago. We were admittedly late to YouTube, late to the podcast, but we are here. We are rocking and rolling, and we appreciate you. And hit that thumbs up as well as we get the show started because that makes an enormous difference as we continue to bring you the best Big 12 content anywhere. And no offense to some people who think they give you the best Big 12 content. They don't. We do. It's not close. So anyway, let's get to the games. Let's start with the most hyped game of the weekend, and that was Kansas hosting Houston and blowing the doors off the Cougars 78-65. to Kansas came out red hot, 9-10 shooting. They shot 71% in the first half. That is double what Houston was allowing on average this season. They were holding their opponents to about 36% from the floor, and KU came out, shot 71% in the first half. That was the best half of basketball I've seen by any team in the entire nation this season. And it's why I gave you a YouTube short on Friday night, saying hammer Kansas plus two and a half at home. I know Matthew Posens and I talked about this on the show on Thursday. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, I could see Houston winning. Then I thought about it more over the next 12 hours, 24 hours. And I came to the conclusion that Allen Fieldhouse was going to be too much for Kelvin Sampson's team. We had seen him struggle on the road in Hilton. We had seen him have some issues when they get away from their comfort zone. And this is going to be like unlike anything they had ever seen in their lives. And it was. It was that and more. Yes, the Kansas players have to pass and shoot and score and do all those things. But that environment was too much for Houston. I'm not knocking you if you're Houston. I'm just, it's too much for most people. Never mind your first time in that environment, top 10 showdown, national television. They were in over their heads. They could not settle down. They could not get it done on either side of the ball, either end of the court, and it showed in a big way. And KU was feeling itself. From Dickinson to McCullers, all these guys um, were hustling. They were, here's the thing. A part of me feels like Kansas has some Kansas City Chiefs in them where they know they're incredibly talented and they kind of are turning it on when they need to and almost when they want to. Now, KU still has some issues, whether it's rebounding, depth. I mean, some of the things that we've talked about on this show over the last few weeks. However, they put it all together in a huge way on Saturday, in a way that I wasn't sure they would. They out-rebounded Houston by 16. Hunter Dickinson was all over the place. 20 points, 8 boards. He was hustling in ways that I wasn't sure, not that he was capable of, but that we hadn't really seen down low willing to bang bodies, scrap a little bit, and do those things that we know he's capable of doing but hadn't yet seen out of Hunter Dickinson. 
Well, he brought it and the rest of that team brought it. And Furphy continues to grow as a freshman, 17 points. He was also hustling with eight rebounds. The ball movement was outstanding for KU. Uh, That was the best 20 minutes of basketball I've seen all season in the Big 12 in college basketball. And it's not close. That's how impressive that performance was for Houston. uh, Like they can still win this league. They're six and three. They're tied at the top. Now they don't have the tiebreakers, but they're right in the mix. But for Houston, that was a wake-up call. That was unlike anything they had seen. And I'm sure Kelvin Sampson tried to warn him. Listen, he knows what it's like to play at Allen Fieldhouse going back to his days at OU. But it just looked like a team that was absolutely shell-shocked. And it's why this was the third time since 1996 Kansas was an underdog. And uh, needless to say, if you were on KU plus two and a half, you did darn well. And that's why you don't bet against Bill Self as an underdog at home. Don't do it. I didn't do it. I hope you didn't do it because that would have been a total failure on Saturday afternoon in Allen Fieldhouse. All right. Uh, let's go to, I, I want to skip around, go to some of the dramatic finishes. Uh, most notably, let's go to Iowa State Baylor. First things first, Scott Drew getting tossed out of that game is the biggest embarrassment of an ejection I've seen of all time. The fact that anybody thought you could eject Scott Drew for the first time in 21 years at Baylor for stepping outside the coach's box, the official has to walk halfway across the court to throw him out of the game is a joke. Big 12 officiating needs to drastically improve. And if Brett Yormark and the Big 12 want to continue this mantra of, you know, the NBA light, the best conference in college basketball, can you get some damn officials worth something? We've had issues all year long in the officiating. I don't spend a lot of time on it because in the end, I think most officiating evens itself out. I do. I mean, I'm not, you know, listen, there are people that do this for a living. You know who they are if you're a Big 12 fan who just complain about officiating, specifically their team getting screwed all the time. But this was ridiculous. Scott Drew should not have been tossed from that game. And Mac Rhodes, the AD for the Bears, he let him have it after the game. He, he just unloaded on the Big 12 and the officiating from Saturday night. Now, Scott Drew took the high road. That's what he does. But if you haven't seen it, it's up on our Twitter page. Follow us there at Heartland underscore CS, and you'll see the videos from Saturday night. It was embarrassing. So in the middle of this, Scott Drew gets thrown out of the game. Iowa State goes on a 20-0 run after Baylor was up as many as 13 points in the second half. Iowa State takes the lead. Baylor ends up coming back in the game. They get a 70-68 to victory, but even the end of the game was not without drama. It looked like Iowa State was going to potentially win this game. Iowa State, with you know two seconds to play, heaves up a three-pointer from just inside the half-court line, and it goes in. And you're sitting there, and you're like, if this game could not get any more insane, well, guess what? It just did. Well, it turned out, of course, that the bucket was no good. Now, before that, if you were watching the game, there was also drama around how much time should be on the clock. 1.2 seconds, like, what's the number? Now, I've seen the replay where maybe technically there should have been 2.2 seconds instead of two seconds on the clock, which would have then allowed Iowa State to get its three-pointer off, and it would have been good. 
So <laughs> it's crazy. And I know that some of you are already commenting on it. Matt saying Iowa State should have won with the buzzer beater. I mean, clearly the ball was not out of his hands when the clock hit zero. But I understand the next person that's looking at this, if you're an Iowa State fan, you're saying there should have been more time on the clock. And maybe there should have been point two on the clock. I, possibly. And if there's another point two on the clock, the bucket probably counts. Iowa State walks out of there with a win. So I'll give you that. I will. But man, I mean, it's just one of those things where when you're watching this game down the stretch and it's going back and forth, last, forget a couple of minutes. It really was the last minute or so because with two minutes to go, it looked like Baylor was back to pulling away with this thing. They're up four points. There's a couple of minutes left and they're looking like they're in pretty good shape. But then all of a sudden things start to change inside of two minutes. Trey King has a break steal. Lipsy gets fouled. Um, he hits a free throw. Then all of a sudden, Curtis Jones, uh, you know, is trying to get in the mix as well. They're getting offensive rebounds. They're missing a lot of shots with about a minute left. But Iowa State is grabbing offensive rebounds left and right, even though they're missing shots. Keyshawn Gilbert's getting turnovers. I mean, it was just a very impressive last couple of minutes. But for Iowa State, they just couldn't make a jumper when they needed to in those last couple of minutes. They had a lot of opportunities between turnovers and offensive rebounds to tie this game and or take the lead with 90 seconds left, and they couldn't do it. So, listen, it's a great game. Both these teams are obviously NCAA tournament-worthy teams. Could it impact who's a three seed, who's a four seed? Yeah, it could. But Scott Drew got the biggest screw job of the night, not Iowa State. So let's just remember that and, and take a step back and realize that as we look at that game. But that was Big 12 basketball in a nutshell. So those are the two games I wanted to start with. And, and by the way, um, only two favorites won on Saturday. This is how deep the Big 12 is. Only two favorites won. Baylor was a favorite and BYU was a favorite at West Virginia. All the other teams that were favored lost. And against the spread, the favorites in the Big 12 on Saturday were one in six. This is Big 12 basketball. It is a dogfight night after night after night. I would not be betting favorites in the Big 12. I would try to find underdogs that I like, especially if they're at home, because this league is just nonstop, grind it out try to get a play and make a play down the stretch, make that run when you need to, and hold on for dear life for a win. That's the Big 12 in 2023-2024. And when you have that kind of a data point from Saturday, man, one in six for the favorites on Saturday. Two and five outright. Crazy for the Big 12 conference. All right, the other games. Um, let's roll through them here. Where do we want to go next? Let's go to um, Cincinnati getting a great win on the road at Texas Tech, 75-72. to 72. So, you know, this game was, once again, I hate to sound repetitive, but it was quintessential big. It's back and forth. It's blow for blow. And for me, as I'm looking back at this game, I, you know, Bandago was very good picking up a double-double for Cincinnati. Um, and, and I'm watching him and I'm saying to myself, wow, 
both sides of the court. You know, he had big blocks down the stretch. We saw those in real time. And for Texas Tech, you know, Pop Isaacs, you're going to look at the box score and say, oh, 22 points. It was not his best game by any stretch of the imagination. He struggled mightily. And the problem for Pop Isaacs, and you saw and you heard the broadcasters mentioning this a little bit on ESPN+, Plus. although I will say the color guy for this game, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I don't know if he was getting paid by the word, but he would not stop talking. It's like, dude, let the broadcast breathe. Please do yourself a favor. Let the broadcast breathe. You don't need to talk over every single play. But he did point out, did make some good points about Pop, and the fact that his body language was kind of off all night because he was struggling. If you were watching, he missed a ton of shots. And he kind of had that, there were times in the huddle when he had body language issues on the court. It's like, if you're going to be the leader of a top 15 team in the country and an NCAA tournament team, you have got to have that leadership, whether you're 15 of 20 shooting or five of 20 shooting, it can't matter. And there were times when pop was kind of hanging his head and not looking like he was all there. And, you know, you can't do that. You, your leader cannot do that in this conference. You just can't. Um, Skilling's had himself a very good game for Cincinnati. And, and you know, for Cincinnati, this is a big confidence boost for them because they had struggled on the road in conference play. They were good at home, better at home than they were on the road. You look at this schedule thus far this year for Cincinnati, and they only had the one road win, and it was to open up league play at BYU. They had road losses at Baylor, at Kansas, at West Virginia, three straight road losses. and. They needed this one just for their own confidence. And by the way, they're right back in the middle of the not. They're not in the Big 12 race per se, but they're right in the thick of the standings at four and five. And by the way, it feels like half the league is four and five in the Big 12 right now, which is not far off from being the case. So this was huge for Cincinnati. They needed this in many ways more than Texas Tech. I know Tech wanted to keep pace and stay in first place in the Big 12. But now a Texas Tech team that has lost two straight. And I, I got a lot of crap from Tech fans the last couple of weeks saying, when are you going to give us respect? I, first off, I've always given you respect, but I wanted to see it against a little better competition. And frankly, at TCU, okay, that's not a bad loss. It's a road loss in the Big 12. Everyone's going to have plenty of those. But then home to Cincinnati is, you know, by Big 12 standards, not a great loss. Now you got to turn around. You got to go to Baylor on Tuesday night. And, you know, after that, you have a bit of a reprieve at home against UCF. But look what UCF is doing right now. They just took down OU. We'll talk about that game in a second. And then it's at Iowa State or versus Kansas at Iowa State, home to TCU. Like, this is a stretch here. When you include the last two losses, Texas Tech, I don't think this is going to happen necessarily. But you've got seven games here where they could go one and six. I'm not predicting it, but you can envision it. And that's why you've got to stop the bleeding as quickly as you can. Just ask Kansas State about stopping the bleeding because they are bleeding right now and they can't stop it because this league does not end. So I still think Texas Tech is very good, but I've said for a couple of weeks, I wanted to see more out of the Red Raiders. I wanted to see how they carried themselves as a team at the top of the conference over the last couple of weeks, and it's been a rough week.
But if they turn around and they take care of business against Baylor in a couple of nights, listen, you're going to feel good about this team. And by the way, they'll be back near the top, tied at the top of the Big 12, and that's going to be fine. So uh, all in all, you know, it's a big win for Cincinnati. They needed that. But Tech's now going to have some questions, but they can. Here's the good thing about the Big 12. You might have a two-game losing streak, but if you go and get a big win on the road against a ranked team, suddenly you're feeling really good about yourself. And that can happen for Texas Tech on Tuesday night. Next up, as we look at these games uh, from Saturday, let's go to uh, BYU, West Virginia. BYU, the only team, by the way, that was a favorite that covered the spread and won the game. So how about that? 86 to 73 over West Virginia. And, you know, you look at this game for BYU and they didn't have to hit every three-pointer in sight to win this game. Now, they were good from three. I mean, not not great, but they were solid from three-point range. They weren't anything like that. They shot 36%, so, uh, you know, about their season average. But they got a great game down low inside from Traore. And the first name always throws me for a loop, so I'm not going to bother. All right, I know you BYU fans are going to get mad at me, but can you spare me that much, please? Guy had a career day going up against Jesse Edwards, 24 points, nine boards. And that's against a very good West Virginia big man down low. If they can balance that kind of play and get that kind of play from him down low when they need it, this is a different team. Because they don't just become the team that has to drain three-pointers and shoot 40 to 45% from three to win in this league. They can win in different ways. And they proved that on the road in a very tough environment, in a very long road trip, longest road trip in the Big 12. Uh, actually, would it be UCF or would it be West Virginia? Whatever. We're probably splitting hairs, but you get the point. They get back to 500 in the league, and they get a win that shows many of us. I know that BYU will say, hey, we could do this all season long. But for many of us, it was like, okay, can you go on the road? Fine, it's West Virginia. It's not Kansas, but still. It's a tough Big 12 road game, tough environment, and win without just being lights out from three. And we saw on Saturday that they could do that. And, you know, the defense also uh, played a solid role and and did a pretty nice job as well for this team. Slazinski couldn't buy a bucket for West Virginia. I mean, he really struggled in this game. And for the Mountaineers, you know, you wondered early on, West Virginia was kind of hanging in there. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, West Virginia, they beat Cincinnati the other night. And, Maybe there's something there, but BYU just started to take control of this game as the first half rolled along and um, really just, you know, held on for that victory with a big second half as well. So congratulations to the Cougars as uh, they continue a very solid season. Their first one, of course, in Big 12 play. UCF with an upset, beating Oklahoma 74 to 63. Johnny Dawkins getting career win number 300. So congratulations to him. And, you know, I just thought UCF was better on both ends of the court. I thought that, you know, I'm looking at this UCF team and I, I'm like, okay, I, I like them better defensively than OU and I like them better offensively. Now, UCF is starting to get a decent home court advantage. That fan base is buying in to what UCF is selling. And that's been a lot of fun to watch. I guess, I don't know if you could say it started with that upset over Kansas, 
but it was a lot of fun. Um, and it's becoming more and more fun to watch some of these UCF home games. And that team is getting more and more confident as well. So it, it was a very good performance for UCF. They get that uh, big top 25 win. They're in the, I don't think they're in the tournament yet. And that's what the bracketology is showing. But heck, they're four and five. If UCF gets to 500 and finishes this season, 500 in league play, you've got a conversation. UCF never trailed in this game. At one point, they were up by 17 points. Uh, they continued to um, you know, lead the way in shot blocking. They had 12 shots blocked in this game. And by the way, they forced 15 turnovers that led to 16 points. So uh, this is becoming a very stingy team as well. It's a tough team to score on around the basket. And Oklahoma learned that the hard way in this game. So all in all, uh, UCF continues to impress. And, you know, if you're a Knights fan, you're saying, heck, why not us? Let's get this thing going here. The great thing about the Big 12 is you have ample opportunity for really good wins. You've beaten Oklahoma now. And, uh, you know, that's certainly after Kansas, the best win they've got this season in league play. You go to Lubbock and then you go to Provo the next two games. This will be very telling if they can at least split these. Once again, UCF stays in the conversation the last couple of weeks of the regular season, all in all. Um, also, looking at some of these games, Texas taking down TCU 77 to 66. That was the first game of the day. And man, out of the gates, Texas got off to a slow start. TCU was all over the place. I mean, they jumped out to a double digit lead like it was nothing to start this game. And it's like, wow. But I'm starting to feel like Texas is just, I, we've seen a lot of slow starts from Texas. Houston was a slow start as well last week. So I don't know what it is about Texas, but Rodney Terry has to figure out this team because they start off very slow. And we see this time after time after time with him and with this team. But, you know, they came roaring back and they had a great final, I, I guess was probably the last 10 minutes of the first half. They're down five or six points. And then they go on this 25 to nine run to close out the first half and really never look back. And to me, it was all about Dylan DeSue. He got going as that first half went along. He he proved to be a bit too much for TCU down low. Uh, Mitchell had himself a double-double, and Texas was off to the races. So I, I, I looked at that game, and I said, well, TCU, I thought was going to suddenly find itself potentially tied atop the Big 12 standings, but Texas came roaring back and got a very convincing win. And amazingly... There were a bunch of kids at uh, the TCU game, students with T-shirts that read horns down. And um, thankfully, nobody forced them to take those shirts off. And thankfully, BYU did not apologize on behalf of TCU. So go figure. I, just, I still can't get over that from last week. Last but not least, Oklahoma State picking up win number two in league play over Kansas State, 75-72. to 72. Now, before the game, there was a video that Kellis Robinette from the Kansas City Star and the Wichita Eagle posted on X that I shared at the Heartland College Sports page. And it was a picture of, or a video 
of the arena, Gallagher Iba looked mostly empty. It was a really bad scene. And there were a lot of K-State fans there. And I shared it and I said, listen, Mike Boynton is a very good man. He is beloved by people who know him and have met him. But it's moments like this, looking at a near empty Gallagher Iba that has more opposing fans than your own fans in it, that kind of force the university's hand. But then he goes out there and he gets a win. Now, it kind of feels like the season where Mike Boynton might do just enough to keep his job. Is that good for Oklahoma State or not? I don't know. I, I don't know what's good enough for Oklahoma State at this point to keep Mike Boynton, who I think is in year seven. But they get a good win. And listen, to me, the stretch of this game, it was the middle of the first half. And Javon Small... This guy, when he's involved in the game, and I don't mean just scoring. He had 18 points. He had a good night. But when he is facilitating the offense in transition, when he's grabbing rebounds, pushing the ball up court, and yes, scoring a key bucket when he needs to, this is a different Oklahoma State team. And that's exactly what you saw on Saturday. Oklahoma State was trailing this game early. And there was a stretch in that first half, probably somewhere around, I want to say the eight-minute mark in the first half, when Small was forcing turnovers. He was grabbing rebounds. He was moving in transition. Um, he was scoring buckets. I, he was doing a little bit of everything. He was facilitating this offense, and it was fun to watch. And it got Oklahoma State back into this game. It got him confident again on that side of the ball. They had a two-point lead at halftime, and they hung on uh, for the win at the end of the game. And that's, to me, what it was really about. And that was the key to this game. I mean, you can always go to the end of the game and talk about the last couple of minutes. However, when I look at that game, that's when Oklahoma State got back in. Game, we're home. Let's get it done. And that's what they did. Now, on the other side, for Kansas State, Kansas State is now in free fall. They have lost four straight games. And we talked a couple of weeks ago. We said, hey, K-State's had a nice start, but you know they had some easy games early on. UCF to start league play, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State were three of their four wins. Iowa State, Houston, Oklahoma, and then a loss to Oklahoma State, that's a bad loss. That's a really bad loss. Now you've got Kansas on Big Monday, BYU, and TCU coming up. Three ranked teams over the next three games. This losing streak could hit seven in the blink of an eye. And that's what Jerome Tang's got to figure out how to stop the bleeding as quickly as he possibly can with this team. And it's not going to be easy. You know, we wondered how good this team was going to be, and they came out of the gates in conference play and surprised a lot of us. But now you're sitting there and you're looking at this team and you're saying, okay, can they stop the bleeding? Is that possible for them to stop the bleeding? And I'm not convinced that it is by any stretch of the imagination. I want to be wrong for the sake of Jerome Tang and Kansas State, but nothing that I'm seeing lately is making me feel good about where this team is at or where it's going to be over the next week and a half or so. And I, that's as problematic as anything else. And the 15 turnovers were just, I mean, they were just killer. For this team and, 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 you know, Tyler Perry, my goodness, can you get it under control at times? 
I it just the hero ball from him at times is too much and it's hurting this team and Tang's got to take him under his wing and say, chill out. I, I 19 points is great. I get it, but man, way too many costly turnovers and that can't continue. This team has to play much cleaner basketball to get us back in a position to start winning again in the big 12. Right now you look at this league and Kansas state is dead last in turnover margin in the Big 12. They're not talented enough to overcome having the most turnovers, or I should say the worst turnover margin in the conference. They're just not. They have to play much cleaner basketball, and they also have to just get some more ball movement as well. Uh, They are not great at ball movement and finding the open man and getting the assist. That's not something they do well. And that's why before I hopped on here, I looked it up and Kansas State is second to last in assist to turnover ratio in the Big 12 Conference. Only UCF is worse. So two things that got to change and change quickly uh, for Kansas State. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports is where you find us. If you want to join us for more of the conversation, hop on our free message boards. Go to the website, click on the Members Forum tab. It's a great community of fellow Big 12 fans as we talk basketball, football, and even softball and baseball and just life. It's been a fun way to get to know some of the great followers at Heartland College Sports. And if you're new to the show, subscribe right now, right now. I know you're watching. Hit the thumbs up on the YouTube video. It helps us more than you realize. Just literally on your phone, on your desktop, on your TV, hit that thumbs up button right below the video. It would mean the world to us. And on the podcast, leave a rating and a review. And uh, we'll get you a Heartland College Sports koozie when you do that. And send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. It's going to be a heck of a next month in the Big 12. We will be here the entire rest of the way, and we appreciate you guys. Check us out at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll talk to you soon. See you later.